And now, it's time for Mr. College Football and Friends with Tony Barnhart. Greetings and welcome back to Mr. College Football, Mr. CFB and Friends. I'm your host, Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football. We have our first full Saturday on the books, and there's a lot to discuss as we look ahead to week two. Now, before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor, APA Games, APBA Games, the unquestioned king of quality simulation products. You'll find them at APBA.com. All right, let's bring on the guys. So, what did we learn from week one? I'm going to start with you, Mark Blauschen from Situate Mass. What did you learn in week one? Well, I learned two things, Tony. I learned some old news, which is that the SEC is pretty damn good when it wants to play big games against tough opponents, because we saw that with uh, Georgia and, and Arkansas. And the other thing, which is encouraging to me, is I see signs of life at Florida State and Miami uh, in their programs. And I think this might be a breakthrough year for both of those programs to be back among the living. I hope that's true, at least from Miami standpoint. Florida State, not so much. Herb Go, you're in Big Ten country up in the Wisconsin area. What did you learn from week one? Well, I, you know, I, I, this is sort of a, also in Notre Dame country. I thought that Notre Dame, even though they lost at Ohio State, I thought they played a really solid ball game. It was very encouraging for a, a young coach making his debut in a tough environment at uh, Ohio State. I, I thought there was a lot of positives for Notre Dame in the loss. Ohio State didn't dazzle, um, but you know, they won that game. Nobody's going to remember that. They ended up winning by two touchdowns. You know, they they aren't – I don't think they're at the level of, of the Alabama and Georgia the way they'd like to be. But, you know, there's a lot of football to play until the end of the season. We'll see if they can step it up. And, um, you know, the other thing is just – there's we got a lot of messes going on that we maybe can talk about later in the show about Iowa with uh, a seven-point – uh, performance that included a field goal and two safeties <laughs> to squeak past uh, one of those little Dakota schools. And Nebraska, which is embroiled in a controversy about who was calling the plays in the second half after a, a very mediocre offensive showing in the first half. I, I had a column on those uh, for more details, but you know, it's we're right into regular season here with angst in the Midwest. <laughs> Tom Lucci, media director at Monmouth Park Racetrack. Uh, we call him the locksmith. We're going to have our session with Mr. Mr. Locksmith in just a little while. Tom, what did you learn in the first week? I'll say there's two things, Tony. First of all, I learned that my 50% of my preseason Final Four is dead. Just completely dead. It's a terrible job by me. Uh, I mean, uh, even Ohio State. I had Ohio State and Alabama, but NC State and Oregon. What am I thinking? I just stick with Georgia and, and any other SEC schools. I mean, what am I thinking? That's the first thing. The second thing I think it is very important. Um, teams better start uh, cranking up their special teams a little yeah. bit. I mean, we saw NC State survive on a, a missed extra point. We saw uh, North Carolina so survive because Appalachian State missed two two-point conversions. Um, so there were quite, and, uh, um, South Carolina won because of two special teams, uh, punt returns for touchdowns. So, uh, there's a lot of that going around and I think that's overlooked a lot. And I think we were reminded this weekend, pay attention to special teams. 
it's a big part of the game. Guys, here's what I learned. If you don't have Stetson Bennett the fourth on your Heisman list, then why don't you, okay? Stetson Bennett played the best game he's played at Georgia uh, by far when he absolutely lit up Oregon for 368 yards and a 49-3 win. Now, I needed some expert advice, so I called Mr. Lucci, reached out to him, and I wondered what kind of odds you could get on Stetson Bennett to win the Heisman Trophy. Well, a week ago, before we played, in some books, it was 100 to 1, and now Mr. Lucci tells me it's about 18 to 1 or 25 to 1. He's only trailing Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Caleb Williams. So he is right in the middle of it. All right, that's what we learned. Now let's go to hot topics. Here's where we're going to start. The college football playoff will expand to 12 teams no later than 2026. The presidents have put the onus on the athletic directors. Hey, guys, if you can figure out a way to get this thing started by 2024, you need to do it, and you need to do it now. Mark Blauschen, can they do it? Can they get it done by 2024? Oh, yes, they can, because the big thing is money. They're talking $2 billion a year they're going to leave on the table if they wait two more years uh, before they implement that system. So that's that's the, that's the, the, the factor. And the other thing is that if they – we were talking about this the other day, Tony. If they have a four-team playoff and all of a sudden you have two super conferences of the SEC and the Big Ten, and all of a sudden they're, they're told that they only get one team in, 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 the, in the Final Four – when they're used to getting two and you know, you know, and and championship games, they're not going to be happy with that. So I think all those factors are going to are going to overwhelm everything. Now ESPN will will um, battle that because they have exclusivity, but I think ESPN is going to also ban to make deals. So I think it's going to happen. I think by 2024 we're going to have a 12 team playoff. Tom Lucci, can it get done? Can they? Do, you know about the bureaucracy of of all this stuff. It, they, it, it, it's like trying to turn around a battleship. Can they get this thing turned around and get it done by 2024? Well, I think Blau hit it on the head. It's about money, number one. Uh, but number two, to me, the important thing is the driving forces seem to be the SEC and the Big Ten. And what they want, they get. That's, it's as simple as that, especially the SEC. Uh, I can just see the first time if there's a, as Mark brought up, there's a, a, a Big Ten team of, that, that winds up fifth. And just on the outside looking in of the of the 14 playoff, or maybe a third SEC team that's deserving that goes 11 and one. The only loss to say Alabama uh, is on the outside looking in. Uh, yeah, I could see that getting done by 2024. Herb, here's, here's what I want to ask you. You spent time with Brian Kelly when he was at Notre Dame. He's let's just say his debut as the head coach of Louisiana State University was less than. Less than auspicious. Special teams, Tony. Special. I was about to say, and Tom told us about special teams. Two block kick, two muff punts, uh, a center that couldn't snap the ball straight to the quarterback, on and on and on. Keyshawn Butte, who's supposed to be one of the best receivers in the country, top two, top three, caught two balls. Her, what is going on there? What's going on with Brian Kelly? Well, you know, Tony, you, you probably know better than I do what, what was left when he got there. I think that, you know, the talent base is not what it's going to be. And it's a lot easier to coach talent than it is to coach less than uh, talent. 
So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, make Brian Kelly walk the plank after one admittedly very, uh, you know, underwhelming performance, especially on the special teams. I, I think that it's just way too soon to start drawing conclusions. You'd like to see him have it more prepared. I mean, he was the first one to say that after the game that he's got to coach better. And, and in this case, it wasn't quite the same cliche that we were, were used to hearing. I think that, you know, the let, let's, let's take a look at where Brian Kelly is at, you know, in a year or two, that that's not a good situation that he walked into there. There's a ton of potential, but it's not there yet, obviously. Well, my money. I, I, I also think that yeah. that that Brian Kelly is going to we'll have his new special teams coach in a couple of weeks if there are repeat uh, mistakes. He's done that in Notre Dame, and he he's not averse to handing off the blame to somebody else on his staff. And that's happened several times with Brian Kelly. So watch out for that one if there's more mistakes. I just think that at the end of the game, they weren't they should not have been in the game. Only a colossal mess up by Florida State. Toss sweeping on the goal line. Are you kidding me? They had a chance. Why not go for two in that situation? You're not even supposed to be in the game. And if you go for two and you don't make it, then the next day I think it's more praise than criticism. But that's just me. That's just me. Okay. Here's the question, guys. It's only one week. Luch, this is this is for you. Utah and Oregon. Utah and Oregon. I had Utah as one of my sleepers to go to the final four. Oregon, I thought I think I still think is probably going to win their division. But if the if USC can't run the table, Luch, is the Pac-12 done? No, I, I think if if uh, Utah wins out, they have a chance. Um, you know, because that was a respectable showing on the road at an SEC venue. So I, I think that's the only other way, Tony. But USC, yes. And uh, I, I think – I don't know how you recover if you're Oregon from 49-3. I, I just don't think that's recoverable. But Utah and Utah's situation, I think they can. They run the table. If they beat USC in the Pac-12 championship game, they wind up 12-1. Sure. Sure, they have a shot. What about it, Blau? Do they still have a shot? Yeah, the only thing going against them – I talked to Lucha about this is – other than USC, they don't. They won't have any quality wins. I mean, their schedule after the, you know that was it. I mean, and they they said most important game in school history, you know. So they 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 would play a good game. They should. They could have won the game. So it won't it won't hurt them uh, that much. But it could be a factor because there's no quality wins other than if they once they beat USC, which will help. But after that, I mean, there there's no one out there that's going to help them, guys. I know I'm a Georgia guy. If you were in the office, you would see that I'm a Georgia guy. But the fact of the matter is they beat a team ranked number 11. Make of that what you will. But they beat a team ranked number 11, 49-3, and it was never, ever a contest. I'll ask you, Herb, could Georgia – I voted in their football writers poll. I moved Georgia from three to one. Alabama two, Ohio State three. We want to base these polls on what we're seeing and heard based on what I saw Saturday, Georgia should be number one. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Tony. I mean, if you're any way you slice it, you, you know, it, Georgia, that performance was definitely a number one performance. If you're going to go by body of work, it's just tough that people aren't going to move Alabama down, but you know, and it, as, as we all know, these, these are sort of, you know, this is just a beauty contest ranking at this point. 
But I agree absolutely. I mean, Georgia should be number one based on what they've done and where they came from and who they are. I disagree. Right. <laughs> What's that? I disagree. What did, uh, did Alabama, tell Alabama us. put 75? I mean, 80? I mean, what did Al Ohio State, absolutely. They they, they, they played enough flaws. But Alabama did absolutely nothing wrong. And you started out the season still thinking that Alabama was, was number one and Georgia was number three. Okay. So uh, move Georgia up to number two. But now you're going to make it better than Alabama after we don't know how good Oregon is. They might be bad. But remember, well, but, but remember, Mark, what our friend – Hoops Weiss says it's a weekly poll. I understand. It, it's a snapshot of, you know, it's a snapshot of where the teams are after. Utah State, 55 to nothing. Okay. Utah State. I mean, come on. Utah State was the Mountain West Division champion last year, I believe. I, I think. I mean, we they, shall. They well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a Alabama a little bit later. Okay. Let's, let's go on to, to our weekly session with our friend, the locksmith. Uh, Locksmith, you sent me five games you really like. We're gonna we're gonna count them down five to the Locksmith Lock of the Week. But I gotta start. One of the games you like is Arkansas. If I get these point spreads wrong, please correct me. Sure. Arkansas eight and a half at home against South Carolina. Why do you like that game? Uh, because I, you know, I I don't know if there's a little uh, something missing. From Arkansas, and I hate to draw too much from one game. I think KJ Jefferson played a great game. I wasn't overly impressed, and I know Cincinnati is a good program. I get all that, but they were missing so many key components. I don't think Arkansas is going to steamroll teams, is what I'm saying, basically. So I like South Carolina and the points. I think uh, Shane Beamer has that program going in the right direction. They played some old Beamer ball last week. You know, they won with special teams, and they have a quarterback who's capable of taking over a game, Shane Rattler. So I just think that's a big spread, eight and a half. I, I see Arkansas winning the game, but I see that as a field goal game. I don't, I don't see it as, and and I think last year, am I not mistaken, Tony, that that South Carolina beat Arkansas last year? I think that's right. Yeah. So, right. Um, yeah, and, and you know, it's a, it's a. I think this year South Carolina has a better quarterback. So that's one of the no question about that. <laughs> no question. So uh, take South Carolina, take South Carolina in the points, even though they're playing in Fayetteville. Right. Eight and a half. Yes. Eight and a half. All right. Well, now we turn the page to Iowa, that offensive juggernaut. Three and a half at home against Iowa State. What do you think about this one? Well, I think it would be just as effective for Iowa if they used the corn stalk at quarterback instead of Spencer Petrus, because he is just one of the clunkiest, least athletic quarterbacks I have ever seen. I don't know how he does anything at all. That's the first part. As we touched on, you know, Iowa scored three points offensively against South Dakota State. Granted, South Dakota State's a good FCS program, but it's three points. You're getting three and a half with Iowa State. It looks like they found a new quarterback. Looks like they uh, they found a good running back replacement. And uh, Matt Campbell, even though he has trouble against Iowa, is uh, is a pretty good coach. I, I I like the job that he's done there. And again, Tony, in a game where you don't see a lot of points. I mean, this could go, this could harken back to 1869. It could be 6-4, you know. And I think we had an Iowa-Penn State game, right, Herb? A couple of years ago, that was 6-4? I believe so, so, yeah. Don't right. throw that out of the mix, 6-4. So you want to get three and a half points in that kind of game. I have more faith in Iowa State than that. I, I really think that, 
that you know the Cyclones. I like, gonna, I like Iowa State. Yeah, they're gonna rock. They're gonna they're gonna put some points on the board. This, this Hawkeye offense is just really uh, a mess, a mess, and it's been that way for a while. You know, it, it's hard to understand why they haven't made a change at coordinator. I know. I hear you. And that's a whole that's a whole another topic for another day. Absolutely. So so locksmith, you're you're taking Iowa State in the three and a half, even though the game's at Iowa. Right. Another one where I think uh, the points are going to make a difference. Yeah. There you go. Illinois, four and a half at home against the University of Virginia. Somebody told me today that Virginia's may be kind of sneaky good. Who do you like in this one? I do like Virginia, um, you know, given the four and a half. I, I, I'm not – Herb could probably better speak to this. Uh, I, I'm not 100% convinced that Tommy DeVito is the answer at quarterback for Illinois because I saw him for four years at Syracuse. He's a mistake waiting to happen you know, because of his style of play. And uh, on the other side, you get Brandon Armstrong, who was great last year in this game. I don't know if you remember, he threw for 405 yards and five touchdowns against the Illini last year, coming off a good first game where he threw for almost 300, ran for 100. They have a star quarterback, and I do like Virginia as a program on the rise with the new coach from Clemson, I think Tony Elliott, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, it's a little bit of a, an unknown for Illinois. And like I say, I'm not a big Tommy DeVito fan. So take Virginia in the four and a half? Virginia's given four and a half, I believe. Forgive me. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. West Virginia, 13 and a half at home against Kansas. Why do you like this one? Well, I'll tell you what. I, I, my belief has always been you try to identify very bad football teams and, and try to pick against them. If you're betting – or doing selections for this uh, in this kind of situation, I still think Kansas is a very bad football team. And I liked what I saw from West Virginia and JT Daniels in the pick game. I mean, we're talking about a fluke interception for a pick six. That is the difference between Pitt winning or West Virginia winning, you know, at the end of the game, West Virginia was driving. I like the fact that JT Daniels hung in there. He was on his heels the whole game because of that Pitt front four. He was just harassed in the pocket all game. He's not getting that against Kansas. That's not going to happen against Kansas. So I have a feeling that JT Daniels is going to have a very big game. So you like you like West Virginia giving the eleven and a half against Kansas. Yeah. It was a it was a lopsided game last year. I think it'll be lopsided this year. All right, you have you have scanned all the games. You have studied them all, Tom. Your locksmith lock of the week is what? Is USC given nine at Stanford? I really think it's time for USC to start to step up and assert itself in the uh, Pac-12. Uh, I'm not sure what Stanford got out of playing Colgate last week. I don't care what the score was. You know, I, they might as well play Colgate the toothpaste, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they got nothing out of it. But USC, you know, when we're looking at Caleb Williams, he's only going to get better as he, as he adjusts out there at USC. <laughs> we know about Addison Jordan. We saw some of that last week. He may have had two touchdown catches. That's going to be the best quarterback-receiver combination in the country, and I think it'll be proven over time. And I know that Stanford has traditionally given USC fits over the years, but I think at this point, for the first time in probably a while, this is not a Clay Helton-coached USC team. Okay, this is a Lincoln-Riley-coached USC team, and to me, that's the difference. All right, well, very good. Well, I'm, I'm going to touch on a couple of quick hitters. Tom, this is this is the place right here where I want I want to educate – the folks who don't who don't like me who don't understand this uh, wagering and sports betting and all this kind of stuff. For example, 
Alabama started the week on Monday. Alabama was a 19-point favorite over Texas. That number only went up. So right. that tells us that more Alabama money was coming in, and they made an adjustment, try to even out the money. That's exactly it. I mean, if you're a bookie, you know, if you're, you're booking bets, any big uh, DraftKings or Caesars or FanDuel or whatever, the, the ideal goal is to get 50-50. That's the ultimate goal on a game. And you make your money with, with what's called the vigorish, which mm. is the 10% you have to pay if you lose. So that's why, you know, they're, they're adjusting the Alabama because you're right. All the money's coming in on Alabama. You know, I heard that line was much lower at the, at the start of the week, uh, immediately after last week, and has just shot up. So there's a lot of Alabama money coming in, and the bookies are trying to balance that. Well, that 20, I mean, Texas is a 20-point underdog at home. Mark Blauschen, when has Texas ever been a 20-point underdog at home, except for the, the real bad years? I, there's a lot of strange things going on. That, that's, and, and that seems it sounds about right, though, Tony. That, that's the sad part about it. I, I, think, I think it could be like a, a 35-7, to 42-7 game. South Alabama is, is not, uh, you know, um, fooling around. I mean, but I, we also noticed that Florida is also an underdog to, to, to Kentucky, too. Two weeks in a row, Florida's an underdog at home in, in the swamp. I've never heard of that before either. So there's strange lines out there. And uh, so we'll see what happens. Tom Lukey, this game intrigues me. Remember last week, guys, we talked about Appalachian State playing North Carolina, okay? How that had a chance to be something wild. Well, it was something wild. Now after Appalachian State is going to Texas A&M. Line started at 17 early in the week. It's now 19 as the money is obviously coming in on Texas A&M. That seems like a big number to me, Luch. Yeah, especially for a team that scored 40 points in the fourth quarter against North Carolina and, and you know, was two two-point conversions away from beating North Carolina. I, I think probably part of the thinking is, Tony, is that a program like Appalachian State, can they sustain it two straight weeks? The first one was at home against a very average North Carolina team. They played well. Now can they go on the road at A&M, you know, and be competitive there? Um, my gut feeling is it, it'll take its toll on them. And I could see this being, uh, you know, uh, as Mark talked about the Texas game, I can see this being very, very one-sided. But I think that's probably goes into the thinking is uh, programs like Appalachian State, can they do it consistently? And these are two very difficult games in a row for them. Guy, I'm going to do, do one more game and ask you all about it. This game intrigues me. Tennessee at, at Pittsburgh. Uh, Tennessee is picked by just about everybody to win, not to win, but to finish second to Georgia in the SEC East. Great offense up and down. Pitt had, a, had an incredible game in the backyard brawl. Blau, when you look, what, what, what strikes you about this game? Well, I mean, I think it'll be. I mean, I think Tennessee beat Pitt, Pitt last year too. Was surprised Pitt. I think it was one of their few losses. Um, and 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 Pitt, Pitt. I don't know how Pitt is going to react. I mean, I mean, they they won the game. They had to win. And now it's not a letdown game, but they they. I, I think it's going to be one of those last team with the ball type win touch game. I think that's what's going to happen. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I have no feeling as to anyone having an advantage on that one. Herb, what do you what do you think about Tennessee Pittsburgh? Well, you know, I think I think what Pittsburgh did was really solid last week, and, and yet, as you mentioned, I mean, Tennessee is a, a highly regarded SEC second tier team. Uh, you know, I'm I'm interested to see the game. I, I don't have enough data to really have a strong feeling one way or the other. 
Um, you know, what's going on at Tennessee is very positive. I mean, this is going to be a real stepping stone kind of a, of a game for them, for people who know football, because Pitt is a team that has demonstrated, you know, with that West Virginia game, that it's, it's very solid. And, of course, last season, too. The Johnny Majors Bowl, Tony? That's exactly what it is. Johnny Majors Bowl. Johnny Majors won a national championship in 1976 uh, with some guy named Dorsett, who turned out to be a pretty good player. Yeah, after all was said and done. Uh, beat my Georgia Bulldogs pretty solidly in the Sugar Bowl. All right. Well, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you for one final thought, then we're going to close this thing out uh, with uh, an extra point by your man Barnhart here. But, Mark, let me start with you. Final thought about week two. What are you looking forward to? Well, I'm looking for I'm looking forward to Alabama, Texas. Really, I want I want to see just how good Alabama is and and how bad Texas is because if Texas goes down badly, things are going to get nasty in Austin because there's already rumblings that Mr. Sarkeesian could be in trouble if he goes like under 500 again. So I don't know. That's going to be an interesting game to me. Herb, what are you looking forward to week two? Well, I. I... I like that Kentucky-Florida game. I mean, I like games like that out of the SEC that kind of teams that are, you know, moving up and moving down. I mean, we kind of know what we're going to get from Alabama and Georgia. So I really like that one. And uh, one other, just interestingly, Hawaii-Michigan, because this is going to be the game that J.J. McCarthy is going to get to start. Uh, We saw saw, uh, Cade – help me, guys – Cade Mc. We tell the other Michigan quarterback the first week. So now, hey, you know. Cade McNamara? Yeah, Cade McNamara. He was one of those Mac boys. So I want to see, you know, if J.J. McCarthy's starts running up numbers, it's going to make a tough juggling act for Harbaugh, who said that, you know, his decision to start one quarterback one game and one quarterback the next game was uh, based on the uh, teachings of Solomon out of the Bible. So I want to see if McCarthy runs up big numbers where Michigan goes with it. What about you, Luke? What are you looking forward to? Well, you know me. I, I got to take a couple of off-the-radar games that I really watch the scores of. Uh, Vanderbilt home to Wake Forest. Can Vanderbilt start 3-0? and I mean, is that possible, Tony? I know they're 13-point underdogs, but uh, here the bad news for Vanderbilt, Sam, I heard Sam Hartman was just cleared yes. to return a quarterback for Wake Forest. That's bad that news. Line, that line, Luke, started at 6. Yeah, early Sam Hartman's morning. back. And you so know, Sam Hartman so. Yeah, and so yeah, that's going to make all the difference in the world. The I am one, looking. The other one, Tony, to be honest with you, Houston at Texas Tech. Uh, yeah. Houston survived a scare last last week against uh, uh, UTSA. You know, had to go into overtime. Now they go to Texas Tech. Are they uh, the Group of Five team that's going to emerge? I mean, we're going to start to find out pretty quickly. You know, they're three point underdogs on the road. Let's see how good they are. Well, one other note about Kentucky, Florida. It wasn't that long ago that Florida had a 31-game winning streak over Kentucky. That finally got snapped, okay? Kentucky will not be intimidated playing in the swamp. But think about this. If Florida wins this game, all of a sudden, they and they get to play, they get to play Tennessee in a couple of weeks, all of a sudden, Florida's got a chance to beat the two teams, Kentucky and Tennessee, that's supposed to challenge them for second place in the SEC East. So my point is the Gators have a chance to make up, make a lot of hay coming up this week. Well, gentlemen, thank you. I appreciate your input. 
Let's put a bow on today's proceedings with an extra point from Mr. College Football. Now, we talked earlier in the show about this subject, but I have some things that I want to add. Last Friday, the presidents who run college football, the college football playoff, voted 11-0 to adopt a 12-team college football playoff that will start no later than the 2026 season. Presidents have told the commissioners to try and start the playoff by 2024, which is going to be hard to do. It's going to be hard to do, but at least they're going to try. What is so silly about this process is that this is the exact same deal that was on the table in February. But three conferences, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 voted against it. Nine months later, the presidents voted unanimously to pass it. So what changed? Tom Lucci would tell you. Mark Blasen would tell you. Herb Gould would tell you. What changed was money. The SEC and the Big Ten are pulling away from the field when it comes to money, and the folks in the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 need more cash, and they need it now. The playoff is going to be great for all of college football, the 12-team playoff. Remember that in the first seven seasons, think about this stat, guys. In the first seven seasons of the CFP, 22 of the 28 bids went to only five different schools. Now more schools can go recruiting, can offer a legitimate shot at making the playoffs, and over time, I believe, it'll improve recruiting for everybody, and that's a good thing. And if you're the Pac-12, my goodness. You can't get this playoff to start soon enough, which just befuddles me why they voted against it. They need it more than anybody else. Here's another thing. With four buys, four buys in the first round, six conference champs automatically get in, six at-large teams, and there are going to be four games played on campus. There's going to be more meaningful games in November as teams kind of jockey for position. Now, I know what everybody's saying. Are there going to be blowouts in the early rounds? Hey, dudes, we got blowouts now with a four-team playoff. How many good semifinals have we had since the thing started? I think there will be blowouts, but in the, in the long haul, more access means more Cincinnati's, and I think that is good for college football. And that is our extra point from Mr. CFB. Now, before we go, I again want to thank our sponsor, APA Games. You can find them at apbagames.com. And please remember our website, TMG College Sports. Remember, we're under the SI umbrella, si.com slash college slash TMG. TMG stands for the media guides, and that's what we are. Mark Blauschen's Newsmaker of the Week is there. We have our picks on Friday. There's a lot of good stuff from our guys, so check it out. I want to thank our technical staff, David Amaral from San Antonio, Sheila Dufresne, and Maria Barnhart. We could not do it without you. Okay, guys, have a great second Saturday of college football. For Mark Blauschen, Herb Gould, and Tom Lucci, this is Tony Barnhart, hoping you have a great college football Saturday. Hey, carry on.